0: Good evening. Wow, oh, Brent, good to see you. Welcome back. You look great. Great tan. You must have got a lot of sun down there in the islands. Oh, in Illinois. <laughs> Isor, good evening. Everyone else, good evening. Uh, Let's start with our um, chant. In order that all sentient beings may attain, But a hood from my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain, But a hood from my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain, Put a hood from my heart, I took refuge in the three jewels. Whatever the virtues of the many fields of knowledge, all our steps on the path of omniscience, may these arise in a clear mirror of intellect. Oh, Majushri,
1: please accomplish this. So,
0: good evening. I think. Uh, we should talk a little generally first before we dive into the text or the texts, and uh, clarify our—at least my—I'll clarify my intention, and you can talk about yours. But um, my intention with this course was to get a taste of the and uh, so, I, I, I'm I, offering my confession that I meant no uh, disrespect for Nagarjuna. Going through these texts so quickly, whole texts, Vigraha, one, one class, seems a little strange, so I just have to say that. So we're not going to get like you know fully through the whole thing here, but uh in in some ways, the goal of this class was to make to help us appreciate why um why Nagarjan is considered so fundamental and why everybody since him has been in some way not everyone but Every almost all texts on the view since then or the nature of reality have been in reference to Nagarjuna 's works, and uh, one possible exception to that is like a sangha in some way like you know are his texts related to nagarjuna's is is actually a really amazing question i think but um And uh, also to help us to understand how difficult he is, and how um, difficult it is to read it, Um, how uh, sort of uh, partially caused by the uh, lack of really good scholarship on Nagarjuna, even though there's like a lot of books written about him.
1: know, to get a good translation of each of these texts is rare. Uh, To have just one or two translations, well, I'll I'll come
0: back to that. Um, And uh, partly to to, uh, gain an appreciation for how um, important it is to to do background understanding of the framework from within which Nagarjuna and everybody else is discussing these issues, which is sort of my marketing pitch for us launching into that in the fall, going in in detail through the uh, the traditional preparatory courses that happen at the as the introduction to Abhidharma, introduction to Pramana or logic. Introduction to the view through the tenant systems, and normally there's a another one called grounds and paths, which is an introduction to the path, but uh, we won't go through that one uh, unless we change our minds. But um, so I thought I would also uh, there there is one very there happens to be for this text. One very good translation of it that came out quite recently from Jan Wasterhoff. Jan, John, Jan. Chris, do you know how to pronounce his name? It, it, they, they vary. Jan. Jan. Jan, Jan <laughs> I know another guy, a friend of mine is J-A-N-N, and he's Jan. <laughs> Jan. Juan. <laughs> Jan Westerhoff. Oh. Ah, Don. <laughs> That's who I'm thinking of. Uh, so he has an excellent translation. I would call the dispeller of disputes. And uh, Chris, I, I um I know you have this, right? Yeah, and and uh, so for example, did you compare the translations?
2: Somewhat i 'll be honest I you know by the time I got through his much more lengthy uh translation and commentary i didn 't have a whole lot of steam left
0: yeah yeah totally well i I tried comparing them a little more and and the differences are just so dis uh, so great uh, it's uh, it 's very hard to find a like a consistently good translation of this text, partially that 's the the language that it's been translated from, and so I thought it would just uh, bore you a little bit with um, some information about the text. And uh, you know, part uh, part of the the uh, profundity of Nagarjuna is the whole thing in the East, where all these Buddhist writers have been writing commentaries to his texts for, um, almost, almost well, uh, 1800 some odd years. And, um, and then people in the West have started to try to unravel him and translate his texts and make them accessible. And, uh, the quality of those differs dramatically and the ease of finding them and the accessibility of the language and the printing and all of that is just so radically challenging when one as a Westerner tries to access this information. So anyway, I thought I would read a little bit from this guy, Westerhaus, uh Jan Westerhoff's first couple of pages. This is given uh, the rising interest in uh, Madhyamaka philosophy in the recent past. This remark by Bimal Matilal, (laughs) and he's quoting this famous Indian logician who's like the expert on Indian logic of our current time period and has written a number of uh, foundational books on Indian logic. He says, there's no doubt that this treatise of Nagarjuna needs to have a wider philosophic audience. That remark is even more true today than it was over 20 years ago. In fact, the Dispeller of Disputes, which is how he translates Vigraha via Vartani. So, our text is called, what, Overturning uh, overturning of Objections. And you see in our text, the Sanskrit is Vigraha via Vartani. The, uh, in Sanskrit, the name of the text. And so, overturning, yeah, yon translates as dispelling or dispeller, and uh, via vortany of objections is uh, translated by Jan as disputes. And uh, in fact, this text is an ideal companion piece to Dengarshana's main philosophical treatise, the Muludmad Yamaka or Fundamental Verse in the Middle Way. It covers some important topics that do not play a big role in this larger work. And it's a little unclear what he means by this larger work, but he's referring to the Moolid Mayamaka Karika, such as epistemology and the philosophy of language. And it does so in an unusual question-and-answer format. (laughs) And his uh, choice of the word unusual is is interesting, is unusual, in that it makes it extremely confusing. In some ways, but on the other hand, it's like cool to have like a Q&A with Nagarjuna, you know, and, and this, this text, if Nagarjuna lived today, you know, he would put the, uh, the Karikas on the, on his website and then he would have an FAQ that would be this text, right? Where people had written in questions or objections over time and he had collected them <laughs> and then responded to them. Uh, and it does so in an unusual, let's say, in the Vigraha via Vartini, we find Nagarjuna reply to a series of specific objections against this theory of universal emptiness that are raised by both Buddhists and non-Buddhist scholars. As such, the text is obviously of historical interest, as it gives us an insight into the kind of philosophical debates conducted in ancient India in the early days of Madhyamaka thought during the first and second centuries of the Common Era. Moreover, perhaps more important, the Vigraha Vyavartani is also a tremendously interesting philosophical work. Many key questions and objections that occur to the reader of Nagarjuna's philosophical texts are set out and discussed in this work. So it's uh, it's like an acknowledgement by Nagarjuna that his uh, elegant, eloquent, and elusive uh, verse Composition: the fundamental verses in the middle way is a little hard to understand,
1: and uh, this uh, this activity
0: of uh, discussing key questions and objections. For the reader of Nagarjuna's philosophical texts, which are set out and discussed in this work, allows us to gain a view of a variety of additional facets of the core theory of Madhyamaka. For those who regard Nagarjuna's Madhyamaka, see how good I'm I'm being? I'm trying to pronounce it the the Larry Mermelstein way. For those who regard Nagarjuna's Madhyamaka as a philosophical system that that not only was historically very influential, but also has a considerable systemic appeal, the discussion contained in this text is an invaluable resource. I think he's trying to say that for people like us who are trying to understand it experientially, it could be a helpful text. That would be nice. History of the text. I'll read a little bit of this. Gives you an idea of. Um, well, let's read it. The Vaghraviravartini consists of seventy verses in Arya meter. That's the name of the type of meter in Sanskrit world, Sanskrit poetry world, I guess. Together with an auto commentary and prose following each verse. The text is divided into two parts. The first 20 verses, together with, uh, sorry, the first 20 verses present a set of criticisms of Nagarjuna's theory of universal emptiness. In the second part, Nagarjuna spends the remaining 50 verses replying to these objections. So, uh, you may have found it confusing. That looks really cool, doesn't it? You may have found it confusing that there were these three texts. Just to keep, just to make sure we're all on the same page, and maybe this is totally obvious, but we read the root text, which has these first twenty questions, and then some fifty uh, responses or verses, uh, verses, fifty verses of response, and then we read Nagarjuna's uh, commentary, where he references verses of the um, root text, or the objection, sorry, and the response. And then we had uh, Richard Jones's commentary, which also referenced them. And there was a uh, a difference in, in uh, schemes of numbering, where in the root text the author gave numbers to the sections, and the numbering of the shlokas, the verses, uh, was a second number, in, and they were both consecutive in Rome, Roman numerals, or Arabic, sorry, Arabic numerals, right? And uh, that makes it a little confusing to see what's being referred to, you may have found that out. Anyway, so that's the physical layout of the text even though they, uh, people, the uh the
2: thinking for why that was done that way was that there there may have been a list of 20 these the first the first part may have been a pre-existing list that may have been circulating around that nagarjuna was then responding to you know assuming people were already familiar with this list and then um um richard jones says that oh well maybe this is is actually shows that it's, a, it's by a later author that you know after nagarjuna's death you know this list um, became compiled of you know problems known problems in Nagarjuna, and a later Madhyamaka uh, philosopher responded, uh, and then and then posthumously claimed those texts as Nagarjuna's.
0: Thank you, Chris. So Chris just gave a handy little summary of all of what I was about to say, <laughs> which is great. But we'll go through it again in more detail. But that was great. So I hope you got all that. <laughs> So, we'll go through what he just said a little more carefully, but that was great, thank you. Um, so, even though it was composed in Sanskrit, prior to 1937 there was no Sanskrit version of the text was available. You know, I, I don't know, you guys maybe these days couldn't care less, it's like we have a good translation, just study that and understand it. But for <laughs> For those of us that lived in the old ages, we had to struggle with this. <laughs> you know, getting a translation of these texts was not easy. The first translation in the Western language is based on Tibetan and Chinese. Translations of the original Sanskrit edition of the Tibetan text, based on the versions found in the Nartong and Peking were was published by Giuseppe Ducci, an amazing Tibetan uh, Italian tibetologist In 29, the Tibetan translation of the verses was made in 842. So, in, uh, Sanskrit into Tibetan by Shinana Garba, uh, who was a buddy of Shantarakshita and Kamala Shila, if you remember your list of big Madhyamaka people. Um, and later revised by the Kashmiri which is northern India, Jayananda and the Tibetan Dodepal in 1060. A couple of hundred years later, uh, Shnanagarbha and Rakshita translated the commentary. And so that would have been earlier in, uh, when Shnana Garba was alive, back in about 842. The Chinese translation was earlier by Vimoksha Prajnarsi. Oh, you guys don't have this. I'm reading something you don't see. Um, But the the Chinese translation was in 541, 400 years earlier, 300 years earlier than uh, 842, then it was translated into Tibetan. And then there was a French translation of this Tibetan version in uh, 1929 published. And uh, in the same year, Tucci published this text with a translation from the Tibetan, I'm sorry, from the Chinese, in his book, Pregda Naga Texts on Logic from Chinese Sources. The Tibetan translation appears to give a more precise and philosophically accurate rendering of the text than the Chinese. Fortunately, contemporary scholars do not have to rely exclusively on either of these anymore. In uh, 1936, Indian scholar Rahula Shankrityanana. Discovered a manuscript of the Sanskrit version and a bundle of thirty-nine other Sanskrit texts at um, how do you pronounce that? Jalu Repuk, a hermitage-like retreat behind the monastery of Jalu in in midwestern Tibet. So thirty-six, the Sanskrit version. And in 1961, this was brought to Beijing, and later returned to Lhasa. Um, So, you have all these different versions of a text based on the language that it was translated from. So then skipping to Jones, a book you guys all have on page 121. And I thought we would go through some of this background stuff and then dive into just one topic in the text and go through the root, sorry, the uh, the objection, his response, his commentary on his response, and uh, Jones's commentary on that one segment of the text. So, But first, did Nagarjuna write it in style? Condon, it looks like the author of the Karikas wrote uh, this work. It appears to... Uh, so many typos in this book, it's unbelievable. Um, it appears to written it appears to have been written after the after that text to explain epistemic issues. Chandra Kirti says that this work is merely an appendix to the karikas. That's a pretty interesting statement. This is an appendix. So this after you go through the karikas, then it's like, okay, here's the F A Q Q&A. Today, most scholars accept the author of the Karikas as the author of this work and the commentary. This Is one of the big things in the studies? Is which works do you believe that we he wrote? We went through this to lot to some degree earlier. This text focuses on epistemic issues rather than metaphysical ones, as the Karika does. And that is uh, that a statement is not decisive. The same author may be merely addressing a new topic related to the first one, presumably related to the uh metaphysical topics. But a strong argument can be made that some later Madhyamakas came across a short treatise by someone who objected to the Madhyamaka philosophy i.e. the first 20 verses, and wrote a response. And he quotes certain scholars who put this forward, Italians, Chola, and Dragonetti. One argument reflects epistemic issues that did not develop for at least 100 years after Nagarjuna, which is a really interesting statement that they can say that this issue about epistemology didn't appear for 100 years. And their basis for that is a little shaky.
2: (laughs) Well, especially considering the fact that the dates for any ancient Indian philosopher are totally, you know, murky.
0: Not totally. There actually is a shred of, uh, of uh, chronology there. You know, they have a fairly good sense of when the kings lived.
2: But it does seem that within, you know, a hundred years it seems within the margin of error.
0: It does. I'm so with when you say, Oh,
2: these arguments came 100 years later. I'm like,
0: mm. I know. I, I I looked at that and I was like, it's not that convincing. But one of the interesting things about Nagarjuna is he writes these letters to these kings, and he names the kings, and that's how they date Nagarjuna, and, and that's how they locate him, which is really cool. So he writes two texts to kings. He writes, uh, "What was it? The Public, the Republic, and the Prince." I think he wrote. You guys with me? You guys awake there? Just checking to see if everyone's following along a little bit. (laughs) Okay. Um, Also, the arguments in verses twenty-three to twenty-four do not reflect the arguments on that same point, the way it's addressed in the Karikas. But the works are similar enough that we can assume that the person who wrote the Karikas also wrote this. <coughs> and if he didn't write this text, then it was written by somebody who was well-versed in the Karikas. one of his colleagues or students. There does not seem to be a question about the author of the meter text, is also the author of the prose commentary so the two parts of this text seem to be the same author um
1: Okay, so, and then uh, Nagarjuna's general
0: um, tactic. So on page 122, Jones says, the opponent's opponent's core claim is that Nagarjuna has a dilemma. Everything is either real or unreal, and either way his claim of emptiness cannot stand. Uh, Nagarjuna's negation of self-existence means that nothing makes sense, it's the main objection, nothing can work and happen or... and the whole act of negating self-existence is (laughs) self-negating. So that's the overall the main objection, and, uh... Thus, for Nagarjuna's arguments, to see succeed, they must either exist or not exist. The non-existent cannot accomplish anything, etc. And, um... Nagarjuna's, thus Nagarjuna's alleged refutations refute themselves, that's so one of the complaints, and uh, that is, skipping ahead a little bit, Nagarjuna cannot cannot argue against the self-existence of anything by any means without assuming the reality of those very means. So, you know, in what sense does his presentation of the emptiness of self-nature hold any water? Indeed, even the conclusion of emptiness can be correct only if emptiness is itself self existent, which is obviously a contradiction. So clearly, somebody has mistaken the words for the meaning. And uh, Nagarjuna responds. So his general response is he rejects both reality and non reality. He he rejects the extremes of taking things to, total extreme in any particular way, and um, offers a third option, phenomena, do exist. And exist does not mean are not empty, exist does not mean truly existent, Exists means merely existent, uh, but are dependently arisen exist, dependently arose, arisen, (laughs) dependently produced, and hence are empty of self-existence. He rejects the unreal as impotent, since it's unreal, and the real as impotent, because anything real is unchanging. He rejects his opponent's repeated treatment of emptiness as non-existent in that way. Skipping to the next paragraph, he also asserts that the emptiness of empty entities is not a thesis. It's not a premise to be invoked or defended by in any argument. He advances claims, but these claims are merely the conclusion that follows from refuting the claim that phenomena exist by self-existence, i.e. the statement of the state of things when it is shown that self-existence does not exist. Or does he deny self-existence, since from the ultimate point of view, there is no reality to deny. So, one of the famous ways of describing Nagarjuna's work and his activity is uh, that emptiness doesn't make anything empty, and emptiness doesn't destroy anything, because there's nothing real to be destroyed, and there's nothing to be made empty. So he's not, like, proving anything.
2: It seems he sort of uh, treats his thesis the same way he he treats other phenomena, which is to say it doesn't doesn't exist substantially, but it's still efficacious.
0: Totally. it's just another, all phenomena are the same in that way. All phenomena are either efficacious or not. And either way, they're not anything in themselves, whether it's what he's saying or what he's talking about or how he's talking about it you know so it's a matter of like are you um the the objector is basically uh or the disputer is basically reifying the argument, reifying the larger trying to the logic or the argument as some sort of, like, uh, theistic habitual pattern, presumably coming more from, like, a non-Buddhist, I think, point of view of, like, well, knowledge is, like, a given. It's, like, from this sort of uh, idea that, that existed in the times and the philosophy of the Vedas, of, like, the, the truth is, like, a thing, and it has the power to overturn falsity or overcome falsity and so forth and uh, in in the buddhist tradition that gets like condensed down into when you look at the uh, 75 dharmas you see one as like syllables and one is words you know so there's this like still sense of there being an entityness to to the means of communication uh, you know so there there's this whole argument in the text about the means of knowledge, and how do we uh, gain certainty about something, or how do we prove something, and does that means actually achieve the purpose of explaining or correcting or presenting something, and in the process, does it actually impact what's being talked about in any way? So. That's the section of the text on uh, page 32, it's section 4, called, The Means of Correct Knowledge. And this is, uh, this section is why this text is uh, said to be about epistemic issues, of like how we understand and know come to understanding, and is in that sense one of the earliest, if not the earliest Buddhist texts on logic, on the the tradition of logic, a little precursor to the more elaborate and formal and extended discussions of the topic that uh, come after him in the form of primarily Dignaga and Dharmakirti, but to some extent also Vasubandhu writes a text on logic. So the means of correct knowledge, so <coughs> why don't we look at uh, first the objection and the reply. So Jones helpfully matches the reply to the objection, whereas the text, said, uh, as it appears in its original and in its Tibetan and Chinese translations, does not do that. So when we see on page 22, 32, sorry, under 4, the means of correct knowledge, Objection five in uh, brackets. That is the um, verse number from the the text of seventy verses called the Vigrahavyavartni, and then he's taken the translator has taken verses thirty to fifty one from the second part of the text and moved them under. Uh, Stanza 5. So, matching up the answers with the questions. Okay. 5. Indeed, if you now deny entities after you have first apprehended them through perception, then according to you there is no perception by which entities are apprehended.
3: I'm sorry, which page are you on? I thought, I, I, I must have misheard you.
0: I'm on page 32.
3: Oh, I thought you said 132, sorry.
0: No problem. Thank you. So page 32. If you now deny entities after you have first apprehended them through perception, so first you see a dog and then you deny the dog then according to you, there is no perception by which entities are apprehended. So, you, Nagarjuna, say, well, there is no dog. In addition, (coughs) the three other means of correct knowledge, which according to this person, or this particular objection, are inference and so perception, is a translation of uh, or a correlate or synonym of valid cognition, direct valid cognition um, through the senses. Sense, perception, the five senses. And the the remaining three of the four are inference through logical reasoning, reliable verbal testimony, meaning like from a A reliable witness who was sworn in uh, with their hand on the Bible, and who's of good character, and so forth. (laughs) In other words, it's a little shaky, this third time. And uh, analogical reasoning. What is analogical reasoning,
1: anyone? By analogs. What kind of logs are those? Analogical reasoning. Anybody look that up for me?
0: Any guesses? Anyone want to take any guesses while Cynthia looks it up? Eric, take a stab at it.
4: (laughs) I would assume it means reasoning via analogy.
0: That's what it sounds like, that analogs. Yes. Correct. A concretized version of analogies. Cool.
4: Non-digital.
0: Okay. So example. Thank you. Good guess. Good. Good. Not not guess. Educated um, response. Anyway. Um, analogy. So example. Now, uh, Dignaga goes into this whole issue of what are the possible valid means of cognition, but by the time of Dharmakiri we left with just the two of perception and inference because the other two are shaky. Um, so anyway, these are all, um, <clears throat> all in the same position as the first instance, which is you deny entities after you have first apprehended them. So, the subjector is making the very profoundly simple objection that you have seen things with your own eyes, you've heard things with your own ears, you've experienced things directly through your senses, and yet you deny you deny that there's any apprehension of an entity. Um, and, and so, how can uh, how can there be any means of knowledge that you use to then understand the nature of reality or that you use to deny those options, those objects? So he's, the uh, objector is saying that Nagarjuna has denied perception as a viable means of knowledge because there's nothing... if if uh, one is not apprehending something either genuinely or correctly, then there's no perception. And if that's happening by inferential reason, and if we're reasoning about things that are non-existent, then our reasoning has no power as, uh, and same for the remaining two forms of, of gaining understanding about the world, about our reality. And, uh so he's he's implying, he, the objector is implying that um, Nagarjuna's ability to uh, argue a position, i.e. the emptiness of all phenomena is invalidated by his own denial of his means of understanding that situation, okay? So let's see, Nagarjuna replies, if anything whatsoever, (coughs) now it's a little unclear who added what's in the parentheses, but I'm going to guess that the translator added that in this case. If anything whatsoever were apprehended through perception, then there would be an affirmative or a denial, but there's no such thing to apprehend and so there's no fault in me. So, so far he's
1: agreeing with the objector that there, um, there is no apprehension because there's nothing to apprehend. If according to you any objects are
0: established through the means of correct knowledge, so the objector is saying, well, you you use various ones of uh, of the stand of our agreed upon list of means of um, correct knowledge, and even when you have a, a direct conclusion or experience of correct knowledge, you deny it. That's what the objector says. Nagarjuna says, if according to you any objects are established through the means of correct knowledge, then tell me how, according to you, those means are themselves established. So, the objector complained that Nagarjuna's own arguments um, undercut the ability to understand things through various means of understanding. And so his arguments were were not convincing. And Nagarjuna is saying, well, if those means of understanding are actually um, resulting in the establishment of any objects, then how are those means of knowledge established? In other words, if, if the uh, veracity of the objects of means of knowledge are um, established, If the veracity of our experience is established by virtue of having valid means of knowing something, then there's a a sort of um, a progression there, that one thing is proved, proved to be real by another thing, which we take to be real. And Nagarjuna is saying, well, how can you just take those means of knowledge as being real? What made them real? You've already established that there's this dependency relationship between uh, experiencing the reality of the world as an object by virtue of its being apprehended by the correct means of knowledge. And so by that same logic of one thing being verified by another thing that verifies it, what verifies your means of knowledge? You've set up a, a... a situation that has no, you know, so um, that fails its own logic. If you say those means are established through the means of correct knowledge, then there would be an infinite series of such means. Those means of knowledge would have to have other means of knowledge, which would have to have other means of knowledge, and so on and so forth. So there would uh, so I'm on the top of one of, sorry, 33. Maybe I did say 133, but 33. Um, in the first paragraph there, if you say those means are established through the means of correct knowledge, then there would be an infinite series of such means, and neither the beginning, the middle, nor the end of the series can be established. You, you know, it's just endless. You can't even find where the end is. You thought the end was, you know, by perceiving a, a dog, but maybe the the perception of the dog then results in some something else, some other knowledge or understanding. Now, if you say the means of correct knowledge are established without other such means, then your position is abandoned. Your whole idea that uh, one thing, the reality or veracity or truth, true existence of one thing can be proved by another, is invalidated if, if you say, well, then there's something that is not validated by something else. You just, you know, created a totally helter-skelter system. First you say, everything is, only those things that are real, which are validated by by our approved list of, of reality testers. And you have no reality testers for the reality testers. Anyway, this is a problem. Nagarjuna says this is a problem, and you need... To explain the specific reason for this, I want to see you after class today at 3.30, be ready to answer some questions. What a funny line, isn't that? This is a problem. (laughs) I think that'd be a good bumper sticker, Nagarjuna, this is a problem you say the means of correct knowledge are self-established just as fire established illuminates itself now we enter into this wacky world of can things act upon themselves which is this slippery slope that is often entered into and you should know that it's a little slippier, slipperier than it appears it appears to be pretty clean cut you know that Knives can't cut themselves, and lights can't light themselves, and fires can't burn themselves. But the problem is, is that when you get to awareness, or consciousness, consciousness seems to be conscious of itself. And that presents a little bit of a conundrum. So for, if we know when we're conscious and not conscious, then something is conscious of that or aware of that. So we have this one very overriding constant experience that's going on in our minds that is of that nature of knowing, of doing to itself what it's doing to other things, and yet we deny that to everything else. But Anyway, that's sort of jumping ahead a few hundred years. In this world, things do not do unto themselves as they do to others, so to speak. (laughs) If you say, let's see, uh, the correct, the means of correct knowledge are self-established, just as fire illuminates itself as well as any other. So he's saying, uh, Nagarjuna's saying to the objector, you're, by virtue of, 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 putting together a means of knowledge that's not validated by any other means of knowledge, you're saying that there's um, the means of correct knowledge themselves are self-established, just as fire illuminates itself as well as other things. So you're saying that the means of knowledge, they validate themselves. Perception validates itself, inference validates itself. It doesn't You know, why do we think that perception is correct? Why do we think that logical reasoning is correct? They sort of confirm each other, right? It's sort of a circular argument. Why do we think our perceptions are correct? All inference is based on perception, and so everything comes down to perception. And if different beings have different... Anyway, you know where that one's going. Okay, so just this fire itself... Illuminates itself as well as other things. Then this assertion too would be defective because fire does not illuminate itself. For the non-perception of fire is not comparable to that of a pot in darkness. Now, if that isn't a, isn't like a, a non-sequitur, I don't I don't know anything about non-sequiturs. <laughs> is that a good response? It's like years ago you would say no soap radio right would be like an absurd response to something a tough crowd here tonight so um for the non-perception of fire is not comparable to that of a pot in darkness does that
3: make sense to everyone (laughs) i i'm assuming somehow that he's linking two different
0: analogies
3: I, right one of them is the fire one and the other one is about like lamp self-illumination or or lamp illumination i don't know that's the only thing i could come up with it's weird
0: yeah yeah let's see how it goes right so we got I think, fire uh, i think the the
2: difference is that you can you can apprehend a pot in darkness maybe you feel it you know, maybe you you knock it off the shelf and you you hear it smash on the floor, but there's no, there, you can't perceive fire in the darkness. There's there's no form of fire that you could perceive in darkness. Fire is always accumulated by illumination. Uh, accomp- fire is always accompanied by illumination.
3: Right, which is totally true, but that's why it, it seems like a rather odd thing because there wouldn't be non-perception of fire if there's fire. And that the original statement about fire is that it illuminates itself, not whether you can see it or not, but whether it illuminates itself. And if it's burning, well, there's a light, and so there, you know, of some kind, and it's illuminated in some way. I don't know. Anyway.
0: I think it's problem. it's the – I think sort of what you guys are both saying, that the non-percept – if you don't see a fire <laughs> – it's not comparable to not seeing a uh, a pot. And I think the in darkness part goes with both of them, right? So the non-perception of a fire in darkness means that there is no fire, right? Because right, okay, there would that, be no actually, darkness.
3: Right, so that right? makes sense, but it's sort of, you know, the way he says it, it's just sort of uh, <laughs>
0: I know, it's so dark. Like-
3: <laughs> Anyway, totally out of
0: left field, right? But actually, what you just
3: said actually does kind of clarify it, even though it's a very bizarre.
0: Did I illuminate it?
3: Yes, you actually (laughs) did. (laughs) In terms of why he would do it,
0: yeah. I had a light of fire under under this topic. If, as you claim, fire illuminates itself as it illuminates other things, then it also burns itself as it burns other things. Now, presumably, that is an absurdity because he doesn't, like, follow up with any conclusion to it. If, as you claim, fire illuminates itself as it illuminates other things, then darkness also covers both other things and itself. So he's, like, extrapolating this ability to do, perform one's function to oneself and others to other phenomena where they clearly, it becomes an absurdity. There is no darkness in fire, nor in anything else where there is fire. How then can there be illumination? I think he means how can there be illumination of darkness, but I'm not sure. For illumination is the destruction of darkness. It is wrong to say that fire illuminates as it comes into existence. I think I think he left out here the word darkness. I think he's saying it's wrong to say that fire illuminates darkness as it comes into existence. Fire doesn't interact with darkness. Fire, uh, its quality is to burn and to produce light, but it doesn't, um, it, it burns that which is burnable, but it, it doesn't You know, you you can't really say it lights that which is lightable. It, It illuminates that which is illuminatable because that which needs to be illuminated is darkness and light never interacts with darkness, does it?
3: I, I don't know. Somehow, it, I, I'm not. I don't understand. I, I, it's to making it.
0: darkness into a thing. That's, he's he's pressing the absurd, He's pursuing the absurd by making darkness into a thing, right? Right. As because well that's what as, I would
3: object to. It seems to me that fire could illuminate things, but it can't illuminate darkness because darkness is not a thing. It's I don't know how to describe it, but it's not a thing.
2: So, I think it, it's operating on the same kind of argumentation as his arguments against motion. You know, a thing is either here or it's there, but it it can only be one of those. Uh, you know, a thing is, is either lit or it's dark. Darkness and illumination can't coexist. So something that's dark can never be lit because darkness and light can never meet.
3: Well, I, I, I guess the, the interesting diff- thing is the construct where you said darkness can never be lit, sure, but essentially darkness and light replace each other in some way
0: right we we view darkness as the absence of light
3: typically yes
0: they uh he's like going to this absurd place where where darkness is not just the absence of light but darkness is like um
3: like a blanket or something like it you know they talk about covering things
0: it's a function of a phenomena he hasn't really indicated, you know, like when we say light is the function of fire, you know. So could you say darkness is the function of uh,
1: my hair? It's like it's when more it's of an absence fire?
3: presence. Although, how does that work in the color theory? Does it in, in the which one is it that white is the presence? One of them, one them
0: is color? like all the colors, and one, one, one is the
3: absence and no one color. is the presence. But I always forget which is which.
5: Well, um, what I think is interesting is. You know, it it shows this tendency to set up these dichotomies that things are either this or that and there's no in between.
0: That's that's the point. It's like it's yeah. almost like a decision tree. It's like if you take this step, then right. you only really have these other these two choices.
5: It's like a key, like a scientific key. It's either one or the other, but there's and, and it, it has and to be diametrically opposed,
0: right? To, and, know, and and they're both absurd. They're they're both so diametric and and extreme that
5: well, there's it, no room for for anything else, and it's it's simple minded, and that I think is what Nagarjuna is arguing against that. That reality is not um either extreme, but, but all the arguments seem to be that things are extreme they're either this or that, and of-
0: <laughs> that does seem to be the the mindset of his supposed objector is is that the mindset of the objector is. A very sort of concretized person who uh, takes things to be very literally true as they're presented, either by perception or by logic.
3: Can I ask a question that's not related to this black and white aspect, but Mm -hmm. that relates to just the issue of using perception as the means of knowledge? because i don't know somehow in my mind as i kept keep reading and hearing all of this it seems like you know perception itself is not necessarily what's being argued because the we can it's that perception well like when you talk about breaking down perception into the like the first moment where it's non conceptual and then there's the later moments where it um is conceptualized and interpreted, right? So, per, the perception the pure I won't use the term "pure." that's not the right, but the, the direct perception that's non-conceptual could still be valid, but the interpretation that there is a thing in what we see is something that comes later in the conceptualizing part, right?
2: That really depends on, on who's account of perception you're going by right so he's i i understand the to be responding to the nyayakas and for them like you're perceiving real things out there it's not the the thing the quality of thingness isn't a conceptual imputation that is, is put on top of a perception but perception itself works because there's a real object out there in the world that is being perceived
0: You know, I, I think uh, partially what's going on, and maybe this is a little simplistic, but is that <clears throat> this this period of time, and, and I, I guess I mean from like this, the time of the Buddha until uh, Nagarjuna and, you know, all the way to, let's say, uh, Vasubandhu or something, you know, the thousand years that the Buddha, after the Buddha, is a period of time, and, and probably preceded him by a hundred years or so, where human beings were, were, uh, you know, like we talk in the West about the Middle Ages and coming out of the Middle Ages with the Renaissance and and real realism. Um, what is it called? The realists, the something, or modernists, or something. Um, where you know we came out of the dark ages of like believing in ho- hocus pocus and suddenly a uh, scientific method developed developed in the west in the east they they it seems came out of the same mist of the dark ages somewhere shortly before the time of the buddha and realized that what you actually what we actually experience through our senses is real and then what we can conclude with logic has a similar reality to it and that those were huge uh conclusions because before that there was all you know the the level of like mythology that people lived in where you know some extent not distinguishing between stories and realities is that too simplistic uh that that people like you know believed very literally in gods and goddesses all around them and, and miraculous things and beings happening all over the place. And uh, and so, uh, like concretizing or canonizing these means of knowledge was like a huge thing, a huge way of uh, creating or um, realizing or understanding um, principles of reality that all beings should uh, understand, or that all for principles of reality for all beings that we you know we we know things through our senses, and we can understand other things through our reasoning. And that spans all different types of sentient being organisms, and so they become like these pillars of um, of re- like religion to some extent.
3: So I, I hear that this is a great leap forward, um, <laughs> so to speak. I guess the question, which I think also relates with what Chris was saying, is just in terms of timing. And you know, I don't have a good full mental map in my brain, as you do, um, the all of the uh, that teaching on direct cognition and, and all that sort of precision about that, did that come later than this time? Or was that already in place? Or...
0: It, it it was barely starting at the time of Nagarjuna, so this text is one of the first texts in the Indian, it, it, definitely the Indian Buddhist tradition on logic. Uh, but the the real flowering of logic in both Buddhism and in and in general Indian traditions, other Indian traditions, happens a few hundred years later with Dignaga.
3: Some okay, form. right. So, therefore, that cannot be assumed to be part of the base of knowledge at that time.
0: Well, what it, it did is, you see these four means of knowledge, it chopped off two of them and and made them ultimate, that those were the only valid ones. The
3: perception and inference?
0: Yeah. But yeah. then,
3: even with, so then, even, even so, I mean, I'm mainly focusing on the perception one here. It's still the question of what What do we mean? What part of that perceptual process do we mean?
0: You the know, whole because- thing. We, you know, it's like uh, through inference, we can come to understand that there's a fire on the other side of the mountain from the smoke, right? And that becomes a reliable means of knowledge for us and that simple example is an analogy for many profound things in our world that you can do that same logical uh, process with. <laughs> However, you could go over the mountain, hike over the mountain, and you could see the fire with your eyes. So it's like, I see the fire, it's as simple as that. It's You know something by experiencing it with its senses, you know the taste of the apple, you know, sweetness and sourness, all of us know those things.
3: Right. I guess the thing that I'm talking, I I guess when you go back to the, the initial objection that is denying, about denying entities after you have first apprehended them through perception. So all I'm saying is that does the notion of perception, like we, you know, I can see the green and brown set of colors that we call a tree. According to that wonderful that's,
0: that's called apprehension,
3: and so the the apprehension applies to the um, the 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 seeing, you know, yes. the or does it include the interpretation part that no. says that's a tree? No, just the apprehension.
0: Yes. So then, Press. where does
3: the where does the sense?
2: I think I think that's true for the Buddhists, but the Nyayas. Do you think that you can see a tree as a tree? Okay.
3: (laughs) (laughs) In in addition,
2: (laughs) they they see they see two two things. One is that you you can see something new, like say a a giraffe suddenly showed up in southern India, and you don't have a concept for that. And you can see a tree, and you do have a concept for that. Both both are forms of valid uh, perception, and and both, but but they both look a little different. Because right. I'm but just, but if, it's, it's everything is like seeing a giraffe in southern India.
0: Go on, Cynthia. <laughs> she looks like she just saw a giraffe.
3: <laughs> it's a what's that? Um, now I guess I don't know. I don't want to be. I don't want to get stuck on this. But I'm just the the question of where the entityness comes in is really what I'm trying to understand because you know in the same way that that old story about. know
0: oh it's very simple-minded it's like i have seen fire and so it exists we've all seen fire it exists
3: well right but again that's well that's why i'm trying to you know to me it's like that happens from
0: bare sense perception
3: they could put that little sliver of separation between yes you perceived this you know sensory perception, but that doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, you know, this is what we're all working with when we try to work with that illusion-like quality of reality, right? That's been our homework for some time and I'm always working on it. So the question of this, you know, the, the, the driving a the wedge between the perception and the assumption that there's an entity, that's all I'm, it seems like that would have been one of the arguments rather than just focusing on the means of knowledge. That's the only thing I was kind of wondering.
2: I'm actually not sure if it makes a difference. You know, either either you're perceiving, you know, uh, individual dharmas or you're perceiving a giraffe. In either way, they they assume the guardian of negating that perception. You know, so wait, wait. It, it, can be, it can be an animal perception negating. or, a, or a, a, a constructed perception, but in either case, they, they think Nagarjuna is rejecting what is right in front of his eyes.
3: Right. But that's why I, I'm saying there. it seems like there is a little room for difference between I'm not denying that you see a, a moving. Uh,
0: why don't we read? Can uh, we can we read that, it one more time together?
3: Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I don't want to get this bugged down. I just wanted to see if there was any, anything there, but feel free to go on.
0: No, let's go back to the beginning.
1: If you now deny entities after you have first apprehended them through perception. So, uh, the assumption is that
0: Nagarjuna has um, apprehended things like fire, because he writes about them. So, he's writing about things he's experienced, so the subjector is saying, you you apprehended fire through your perceptual means of knowledge,
1: and now you're denying them.
3: And that, that's my, what, I mean, essentially my question is, why isn't Nagarjuna saying, I'm not denying it, yes, I saw a red thing and it felt hot, or I mean, I'm sorry, I saw red and because it felt hot. Because that's not hot.
0: the objection. That's not what the objector is objecting <sighs> to. That's, that's covered in a different okay, Q&A. That's
2: what I Even, even if out. it was, I, I think the objector's argument still stands. Like it, it doesn't matter if it's a fire or a red pixel. The point is the objector thinks Nagarjan is denying perception as having any
3: existence. Well, and that's Nagarjuna, what I, that's what's not clear to me. I don't find that so clear, if, but that's fine. I don't I don't want to dwell. So.
0: <laughs> the the objector says. Okay, you've perceived the fire, but you deny that it has that it's an entity. Therefore, you are
1: also um, denying that there's perception.
3: Right. You know. Again, I, the whole rest of it it's it's really right there in the beginning. It, it, to me, it's just all about whether you have to tie together perception and entity or not. And in this case, they seem to be tied for whatever reason, and that's still- And so
0: Nagarjuna is is responding to your question in 30, you know, 30 is in response to 5. If you deny things that you see, then you're denying seeing, is what the objector is saying, right? If you deny things that you can see with your own eyes, then you're denying your own eyes, Nagarjuna is saying if anything whatsoever real were apprehended through my if if I had seen anything real then there could be something that I was affirming or denying
1: I didn't see anything real you're projecting onto me yeah I mean that part I I (laughs)
3: saw and that one made sense to me but then it keeps going on into this means of knowledge stuff and it seemed like that gets to be sort of
0: that's the main topic. It's a, that's the topic. It's for the means of correct I, knowledge. We I, I, dealt I, I, with fire somewhere else. <laughs> we dealt with the object somewhere or, or else. Or
3: entity is yeah, entity okay. dealt
0: with in a in a okay. different okay. one.
3: Okay, because that then, thank you. That's sorry about raising the slide here. I can't remember them I can't remember them all anymore.
0: <laughs> and Nagarjuna says, but there was no such thing to apprehend. When you say, I saw fire, I didn't see anything, so there's no fault. Why are you trying to put words in my mouth? <laughs> if according to you, any objects are established through the means of correct knowledge, you know, so in garden is saying, hey, you, 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 you say that you see a fire because your act of seeing is valid, then tell me how, you, according to you, who validated your eyesight? Did you have that validated by an expert, a vision expert? How do you know you were seeing fire? If you say those means, if you say your eyesight is established through the means of, if you say that uh, those means are established through the means of correct knowledge, if you say there's some other correct knowledge which validates your eyesight, then you've set up an infinite regression. Now, if you say the means of correct knowledge are established without any such means, then your position is abandoned. You you just
1: said that your eyesight is not established as authoritative, because nobody authorized it. <laughs> so, why the hell should I believe what you see?
0: Um. If you say the means of, in the next 34, which is on page 33, verse 34, if you say the means of correct knowledge are self established, as fire illuminates itself as well as other things, so my eyes validate, see themselves just as fire illuminates itself and other things, this assertion would be defective. Fire does not illuminate itself, for the non perception of fire is not comparable to that of a pot in
1: darkness. So, the non-perception of fire is not com- uh, in darkness. So, there was, uh, you can't say, you can't,
0: you, it would be c- comparable to saying that in darkness there is fire that has not been illuminated yet. And so then fire is going to illuminate itself. So fire would have to pre-exist its illumination or not. If it was to illuminate itself, it would have to be there to illuminate itself. And the only state that fire exists in is darkness.
4: I think that's what the next point is, is that, and also when there is fire, there would have to be darkness there that is not yet darkened. That right. sounds Which I've been like struggling with all week.
1: Where is that? What number is that? Or you just
0: para- paraphrased it. But I like that in darkened.
4: <laughs> well, if fire illuminates itself, it must have been there sitting in the dark. Right. Therefore, then darkness also covers both other things and itself, much like you said about fire, but there is no darkness in fire. If you're saying that there's fire in the dark with the pot, then you're saying that there's darkness in a lit room.
3: <laughs> I guess I, I thought I read it differently that the non-perception of fire is different than that of the pot and darkness, and that's because In the case of the pot in the darkness, the pot is actually
4: there, whereas... Exactly. That's the ridiculous part. The fire is not there in the light, it is not there in the dark room, and the darkness is not there in the lit room. Yeah, it's...
0: Right. Okay. So we went through 34, 35. If, as you claim, fire illuminates itself as it does other things, then it also burns itself as it burns other things. So, he, 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 he seems to feel that's an absurdity. If, as you claim, fire illuminates itself as it illuminates other things, then darkness also covers both other things and itself. There is no darkness in fire, nor in anything else where there is fire. How then can there be illumination in fire? Or in darkness, sorry. For illumination is the destruction of darkness. It's wrong to say that fire illuminates as it comes into existence, that it illuminates something like darkness. For when it arises, it doesn't touch darkness. It has no interaction with darkness. And if fire destroyed darkness, even without coming into contact with it, then the fire standing here could destroy the darkness everywhere, because it doesn't seem to need to contact the darkness to destroy it, to illuminate it. It seems to be able to do it without touching it.
3: So that's kind of like the classic arguments about causality as well.
0: Yep. If the means of correct knowledge are self-established, if you're saying, well, my perception is, is validated by the fact that it is my perception. <laughs> If the means of correct knowledge are self-established, then for you these means are established independently of the objects of correct knowledge. For self-establishment is not dependent upon anything else. And if, as you say, these means are established independently of the objects to be known, then those means are means to nothing. (laughs) As a means of, they are validated as a means of knowledge. But if they're validated, whether they know anything or not, then they're validated without performing their function, and so it's not really saying anything to validate them when they're not performing their function of val of knowing something. I
3: must admit, this is one where you I kind of feel like, <laughs> can you stop somewhere? And like, this not necessary this one? This one is kind of weird because it's like saying. I mean, it's true that in one sense, a hammer needs a nail to do its hammering function in a sense, but I, I don't, I don't see why the means have to be, they shouldn't have to be established by every object that they might be applied to. That would be kind of excessive, it seems like.
5: No, uh,
0: it's, it's more, uh, whether they're doing their job or not, or, if, or are they sitting around doing nothing? Loafing off like I do all day long. Anyway, let's go on. Uh,
3: just objectlessness altogether. Okay, I guess.
0: Um, <coughs> you may reply. What defect is there in saying that the means are established by the objects that they know? The defect is that what is to be established has already been established. For indeed, it is only something that is not already established that looks to something else for support. If the correct means of knowledge are always established on the basis of the objects of correct knowledge, then those objects are not established on the basis of those means. <laughs> because if you have a total catch-22 of a chicken and the an egg here, time-wise, who's on first and who produced who and so forth, and if these objects are established independently of the means, that would be gained. What would be gained by establishing the means? <laughs> Where does it, what does it get you? That which they are used to establish would already have been established. Furthermore, if you establish the means by the objects, then certainly the proper order of means and objects is reversed. He would have been such a pain in the butt to live with Nagarsha. Imagine that. Like, you didn't do your dishes. Well, <laughs> God, that would be really a struggle. If you now say the objects of correct knowledge are established by establishing the means... And conversely, that the means are established by establishing the objects, and neither the objects nor the means are established for you. For if the objects are established by the means, and if those means are to be established by those objects, how will the means be <laughs> able to establish the objects? We get it, okay? You don't have to beat this one to a dead pole. Conversely, if the means are established by the objects, and if those objects are to be established by those means, how will the objects be established? Able- Did I read that? <laughs> Um, if the son is produced by the father, and the, if the father is produced by the son, what does he mean? If the father is produced by the son, that's sort of an odd thing to say. Is that like an Oedipus complex or where, No, what is no, he getting no. It's,
3: at? it's perfectly logical. The, well, Chris is the best one to explain. He just experienced it, but
1: all of yeah, us.
5: you father until you have a son. That's all it means. You can't call yourself a father until
0: you have a son, right? Ah produced <laughs> by Okay. Good. Okay. So um then tell me which of them produces the other? If the child produces the father then and the father and the mother produce the son, then who who started it? Tell me, who's the father, who's the son? Indeed, each bears the characteristics of both father and son because of this. There is doubt here. <laughs> Another great one-liner.
5: It's, it's, it's wordplay. You know, they um, No,
0: this is serious. This is not playing around. Do you, remember,
2: do you remember in Back to the Future when Marty McFly goes to the past and his mother falls in love with him? Yes. I think that's the situation we're dealing with here.
5: it it it's like you know father is a thing it it it's a concept but
0: but um it, it he has not like, he hasn't been given birth to he could have he could have fallen in love with his mother and then been his own father back in yeah. the future right right yeah There's a tongue twister for you, Calvin. I
2: I think he's just just trying to talk about a circular argument. And whether or not he's talking about Back to the Future or not, I think the the point is that when when you've got two things that depend on each other, it becomes very difficult to establish their identities. Yeah. Where where do you start? Yeah. So before he was talking about a, a vicious regress, where you have one thing establishing the other, establishing the other. And then now he's talking about a vicious... Circle, circle. You've got things yeah, spinning. And they're around.
5: also reverting to this notion that, wor- you know, words are things. That, that um, a word is a concept, but it's an actual thing in their mind. A father, father is nothing but a designation.
0: Well, it's a state that's described by a word, but it's a state of like fatherhood. Fatherhood is produced. If you say it's real, if you say he's really the father. Anyway, let's go look at uh, Nagarjuna's commentary to his abstruseness. On page 45 of this book, we have Nagarjuna's commentary on overturning the objections, reply to verses 5 and 6. Only if I apprehend anything whatsoever by one or all of the means of correct knowledge, experience, which uh, was called perception earlier, by the way, valid inferences from valid premises, which is called inference, the reliable testimony of others, and reasonings by analogy, analogical reasoning, would I have something to either affirm or deny? since I do not, in fact, apprehend any object of any kind whatsoever. I never said there was a fire there. I neither affirm nor deny. In this situation, your criticism, if you deny objects after having apprehended them through one of the means of correct knowledge, then those means do not exist, nor do the apprehended objects. That statement is of no concern to me at all because I never apprehended anything. You're talking about somebody else. Maybe he looks like me, but it wasn't me. Moreover, you may think that these noble objects are established through the means of correct knowledge, just as things to be measured are established through their measuring instruments. That's a good one. That's a rather profound one that exists to today, is all we know about reality is what we're able to measure about it through our senses, or through other instruments. But how are the means of correct knowledge established, if they're established without the aid of those means themselves, then the thesis that all objects are established by these means is
1: abandoned. Because they're no longer indisputable, independently existing,
0: irrefutable means of knowledge. You may also think, The objects known through the means of correct knowledge are established through those means, which is how the system of valid cognition is set up. And those means are established through other means, but then an infinite series of means follows, and you're going to get very mean. You may ask, what harm is there in an infinite series? (laughs) Okay, what's the problem with an infinite series? I'm okay with that. I got a lot of time. If there is an infinite series, the beginning cannot be established. If we don't have a beginning, we just can't deal with it. Uh, For those means are established through other means, and those through other means, thus there's no beginning. If there's no beginning, how can there be a middle? How can there be an end? Therefore, the statement, those means are established through other means, is not valid. If it doesn't have a beginning, middle, and end, where? At what point is the means going to establish the objects?
3: So how do they deal with turtles all the way down?
0: Yeah. You may now think the means of correct knowledge are established without those means. But the objects to be known are established through those means. We've got two different sort of uh, systems here. On the one hand, there's this one, this one set of principles that's self-existing and ultimate and all-powerful and uh, is established by the logic that things can establish themselves, and then on the other hand, we say that everything else has to be established by something else. It's called double standards, I think. Um, in addition, there's discord. Sounds like a uh, an I Ching reading. There is discord. Why are some objects established through these means and some others are not? You must state the special reason why some objects are special and they're established through these means and some others are not. But you have not stated it. Therefore, this formulation too is not proved. The opponent musters up some strength and says the means establish themselves as well as other things. As I said, fire illuminates itself as well as other things so too the means establish themselves, as well as other things." Reply by Nagarjuna, Your claim, the means establish themselves as well as other things, like fire illuminates itself, as well as as other things, has a small problem with it. It There's a small problem with your car. Fire does not illuminate itself. A pot that is not illuminated by fire is not perceived at first in the darkness, then, when illuminated by the fire, it's perceived. If fire, in the same way, were first not illuminated and existing in darkness, and then were illuminated, then it could be said that fire illuminates itself. However, this is not so. Fire doesn't exist in darkness, therefore this premise, too, is not proved. Moreover, if, as you claim, fire illuminates itself as it illuminates other things, then it would also burn itself as it burns other things. However, this is not so. It doesn't really say why, but in this situation, your statement, fire illuminates itself as it illuminates other things, is not valid. Furthermore, if your opinion, if, in your opinion, fire illuminates both other things, and itself, and it's opposite, darkness. It's funny how he says the opposite of fire is darkness. Also would cover both other things in itself, however, this is not seen in this situation. Your statement, fire illuminates both other things in itself, is not valid again for the second time. In addition, in fire there's no darkness, or is there any darkness where fire is located for illumination? is the warding off of darkness but since there's no darkness in fire or where fire is located where is the darkness that is warded off by fire and from what act of warding off does fire illuminate both other things and itself (coughs) hold on one second the, the doorbell is ringing hold on a second That was was the the milkman, you know. If you miss a delivery, then you you have to go without for days. Forgot to put the bottles out in the milk box. What were we firing up? Where were we? Totally lost. Let's see. We are on 46, right?
3: Yes, in the middle of the page.
0: Fire, there's no darkness, etc. But since there's no darkness in fire, 37, or where fire is located, where's the darkness that is warded off by the fire? From what act of warding off does fire illuminate? other things in itself fire does illuminate the opponent fire illuminates other things in itself since there's no darkness in fire where it's located is that not so do i sense a note of frustration here in its arising fire wards off darkness indeed where there is no darkness in fire where it is located because in its arising it illuminates itself and other things The guardian of response, the claim that fire in its arising illuminates itself and others is not supportable. In its arising, fire does not actually reach darkness. Since it does not reach darkness, it does not destroy it. And since darkness is not destroyed, there is no illumination, even though we observe illumination. But there is no illumination logically. You may think that fire destroys darkness even without coming into contact with it. How can something do something to something else without contact in it? But then fire standing here at this time will also destroy the darkness existing in all worlds without coming into contact with it. That's a dangerous weapon, but this is... Seen not to be so, therefore your claim fire destroys darkness even without coming into contact with it is not valid. Moreover, if the means of correct knowledge are self-established, then for you these means are established independently of the object's of correct knowledge, for self-establishment is not dependent upon anything else. Opponent, what defect is there if the means of correct knowledge do not require the objects of correct knowledge? Like, what's the big deal? <coughs> can can we just say that they, uh, they don't require there to be working all the time? Nagarjuna, if the means of correct knowledge were established independent of the objects of correct knowledge, then those means are the means of nothing. How can you still call them the means of correct knowledge if they're not meaning anything, if they're not bringing meaning to your life? Thus there is a defect, but if the means are means of something, then they are not means of correct knowledge without respect to the objects of correct knowledge. If it is admitted that the means of correct knowledge are established by the objects to be known, by their act of knowing the objects to be known, then the four means that are already established are established again. Why? Only an object that is not already established looks to something else in order to be established. For example, David Dutta. <laughs> It's So funny that he picks up on David Dutta, who's like the kicking bag of the whole tradition. What do you what do you call it? The uh, the guy that they they always like make fun of. He's
3: a punching bag,
0: I think. Was... Punching bag, right? He's the famous coven, cousin of the Buddha who competed with him, and tried to take over the Sangha, and apparently tried to kill him. Devadatta, who has not been established, looks to something else, but it is not admissible that something that is already established is to be established again. One does not do what is already done. That was a stretch, huh? Only an object that is not already established looks to something else in order to be established. For example, Devadatta, who has not been established, looks to something else. But it is not admissible that something that is already established is to be established again. If something's established, like if Devadatta was established, then you wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to perform the function of establishing anything. Moreover, if the means of correct knowledge are established by the objects of correct knowledge, then those objects are not established by the means, because for the object to be established does not establish the instrument by which it is established. The fact that something is established by a valid means of establishing does not establish the the validity of the means of establishment. Something about disestablishmentarianism here going on. Um, Now you may think, 44, these objects are established independently of the means, but what then would be gained by establishing the means? That which they are used to establish would already have been established, what is done by the means? In addition to avoid the defects stated in verse 41, you may think the means of correct knowledge are established by the objects, but then the means and objects are reversed. For you, the means become the objects, for they are established by the objects, and the objects become the means, for they are established by the means, just like the Father and the Son becoming, one, produce, the Son producing the Father. Anyway... Uh, one more paragraph. You may now think the objects of correct knowledge are established by the establishing of the means because the objects require the means, and conversely that the means are established by establishing the objects because the means require the objects. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like a Monty Python routine. Would this be like a, a really good Monty Python routine or what? Like John Cleave and the other guy going at it. Be priceless. Uh, for if the objects are established by the means, and if those means are to be established by those objects, then the means are not established because they're caused, the objects has not yet been established. In such circumstances, how will the means establish the objects? And if the means are established by the objects, and if those objects are to be established by those means, then the objects are not yet established by the means, because the means can't establish anything because their cause, The means have not yet been established. In such circumstance, how will the objects establish the means?
2: <laughs> it's kind of like, it's like, you know, nowadays we have terms like vicious regress, vicious circle, and you can kind of just, Point at them and be done with it, but he, <laughs> he doesn't have those terms, so he's he's trying to like explain what a what a vicious circle is in, by <laughs>
0: example by using analogical reasoning. Really painful. By doing it <laughs> painfully, painfully great length, laboriously over and over again to to great uh, irritate. Just trying to irritate the the objector.
2: It's like you you. Like, imagine having a debate with this guy. You know, you you the two schools, you know, send their... Formally, everybody's there waiting. Like, how could you even respond to just all this nonsense?
0: Yeah, they must have gone crazy with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, it's like, what a radical thing that it must have been. And then, like, who would side with this fanatic who just, like, is, like, totally destroying all sense of... Uh, there being any propriety or decency or tradition or like uh, accepting of what came before, you know, we do things this way because that's how we've always done them. That that really ironclad logical reasoning that most, most people in the world go by, like when you join companies, you ask them, why do you do it this way? It's because we've always done it this way, so... Anyway, next week we continue our our tour of Nagarjuna's writings with uh, the Ratnavali, which is a very cool text, and the 70 verses on emptiness, the Shunyata Subtiti. So, let us conclude and dedicate, Are any final comments? By this merit may I obtain omniscience. May defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death from the ocean of samsara may I free all beings. By the confidence of the golden sun of the great east may the lotus garden of the with wisdom bloom. May the dark ignorance of sentient beings be dispelled. May all beings enjoy profound, brilliant,
1: Thank you, see you soon, take care, stay cool.